Uh, normally this is where I would tell you to turn to a certain passage of Scripture, but we'll do that in a moment. As I mentioned a while ago, um, we are not doing a, a usual expositional style of message. Uh, this is very much of a topical message, and I want to be clear, I am not opposed to topical messages, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this one this morning. Uh, it's just my preference and my style is bent much more toward expositional, which Lord willing will begin next week. Um, so Mike mentioned that he's a lot less stressed this morning. I'm not sure what he's talking about. Um, but I will confess to you, as I envisioned getting back in the pulpit, I had uh, some, uh, some concern. Like, what if I forgot how to teach? And what if I forgot how to preach? And like, Lord, you know I'm like the most dependent person in the world. So you are going to have to do uh, what I surely am not able to do. And so I hope you have already been praying for the Lord to speak to us this morning. Um, I'm going to use a quote from A.W. Tozer, and actually it's a compilation of quotes. So I'm going to have a lengthy introduction this morning, and as we do so, you'll end up seeing, in fact, you already see the first blank that goes on your title. Um, I didn't put the title on the handout. I don't think it's on the handout uh, because I know some folks maybe download theirs at home, and I didn't want anybody seeing the omniscience of God. He preached on this stuff back then, so I'm not going. I didn't want that to happen. So I kind of hopefully kept them in the dark a little bit, uh, that, that those of you that were here earlier. And again, this is a little bit revised from that. So I want to begin with, again, a lengthy introduction from a, a gentleman years and years ago who wrote some things that I have found to be very thought-provoking and accurate. And if you will go along with this introduction, I think within the introduction you'll see why we are doing this study because if you don't you may think man that was a really random message just of all the things Jeff could have preached why that one and so I think within this will come part of the reason why I feel that the Lord led us to preach on this particular topic this morning we live in a day where if you were to ask the average American or at least test them in their mind what do you think is the most important thing about a person let's just be honest the thoughts that are going to go through people's minds, if they're honest, is physical appearance, bank account, and depending on their age, if they're older, they're going to probably say it's not physical appearance, it's how healthy are you physically, physical health, again, physical appearance, bank account, network, who do you know, those are the most important, what title do you have? And yet I want you to listen, and again, it's lengthy, it's got some heaviness to it, so if you are not paying attention, you're not going to get the weight of what Tozer offers us this morning as he tries to draw us in to today's topic. Tozer writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Were we able to extract from any man, might I add, or woman, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? He says, if we could extract a complete answer to that, then we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. So what he's saying, again, what comes into your mind, that's going to be your thoughts, that's going to be your feelings, that's going to be your beliefs, your trusts. He's saying this is the most, you say, Jeff, do you agree with that take? Is that the most important thing? I know what he's saying. That is one way of saying a truth. I might would offer it a different way. If you were to say, Jeff, what do you think is the most important thing about a person? I would offer 
Simply, have they put their faith and trust in Christ alone and in the promises of God about Christ's death to save them from their sins? I would say that's the most important. Or, I could even go earlier than that, and if you want to research it out in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 31, I would say the most important thing about a person is this, is God for that person. That, to me, is the most, the most important thing about anyone, is God for that person, because that settles it all because we know in Romans 8 and in fact we'll finish there in a little while all things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to his purpose all things because then Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says God has this plan for those who fall into that purpose he says those whom he foreknew and I would even say that stands for the idea of foreknown then he's already predetermined catch that idea pre-beforehand determined that that person is going to become like Christ. And the fallout of that is that Jesus throughout eternity is going to be the firstborn among many brethren. He's going to be the highest ranking among many, many, many brothers and sisters. He the one and only Son of God, we the adopted children of God. He's going to be the number one over that. And so Paul, again under inspiration in Romans 8, says that those people, God calls them... Chapter 11, he says, with an irrevocable calling. You will respond to that call. Those that fit into that purpose of being conformed to his image through eternity so that Christ is the firstborn among many, God calls them with an irrevocable call. And those he calls, he, God, justifies that person, declares them righteous. And then we know that ultimately he glorifies those people. It's a done deal. has to happen. And so Paul, concluding all that, says, thinks with us, what should we say to these things? And he says, here's his conclusion. If God is for us, who can be against us? But I'm tracking along because I do agree with this is one way that you would say this is the most important thing about a person. But now Tozer's going to get in our kitchen and start rattling the pots and pans because he writes the following. That our idea of God corresponds as nearly as possible to the true being of God. Interject. He just put two categories. There's our idea of God, and then there's the true being of God. And these are not always the same. He continues. That our idea of God corresponds as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Compared with our actual thoughts about him, our creedal statements are of little consequence. Do you see what he did? He just put two more categories. Over here is our actual thoughts about God, and over here are our memorized creedal. And I'm not against creedal statements. One of the churches I went to was Presbyterian Church, and they used some catechism within their their service, and I kind of appreciated it, enjoyed it, and they're teaching their people what is sanctification, and they've learned this answer, a good answer of what sanctification is. But what he's saying is we can learn these creedal statements, but that may not be what you actually believe. He continues. Tozer writes, Our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions. And may require an intelligent and vigorous search before it is finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. 
And he writes, only after an ordeal of painful self-probing are we likely to discover what we actually believe about God. Let me explain that. Most people who are in church this morning, if around the country and around the world, if you were to ask them, do you believe God is good? Yes, God is good. Do you believe God is loving? Yes, God is loving. Do you believe God is all-powerful and He controls all things? We use the word sovereign. I dare say 99% of you would say, yes, God is good, and yes, God is loving, and God is sovereign. That sounds great. That's what we say. But sometimes along comes the life-changing event, and it's going to come my way. I mean, the life-changing event. I hope when the life-changing event hits me or you that it doesn't happen what happens with some people. All of a sudden, I used to say I believe God is good, but now I don't believe He's good. I thought He was loving, but this happened. and now. Or, watch this, some people, because they believe the Bible, they say God is good and God is loving and God is sovereign. But then they read some difficult passages like I already alluded to in Romans 8 and some difficult thoughts like you're going to write later in your handout. And some will say, well, if that's true, then I don't think God is loving or good. I said that before, but if that's... And they come across these doctrine-altering passages of Scripture. And so, yeah, you thought that's what you believed about God, but then life hit, and now you really don't believe that about God. You were hiding underneath a creedal statement. One last thought from Tozer. He writes the following. Among the sins to which the human heart is prone. You know what prone means? We are bent toward this. He's talking about us. This is Jeff Bartlett sometimes left to himself. Among the sins to which the human heart is prone, hardly any other is more hateful to God than idolatry. Why? He writes, for idolatry is at bottom a libel on his character. Have you ever heard about a libel suit? A libel lawsuit? What is that? Someone has slandered someone else's reputation or character. And it's a false, damaging accusation. Let me read that line again. Among the sins to which the human heart is prone, hardly any other is more hateful to God than idolatry. For idolatry is at bottom a libel on his character. And then he says this. The idolatrous heart does two things. Number one, the idolatrous heart that's in mankind, which we're bent to, number one, it assumes that God is other than he is. In itself, a monstrous sin. He's other than he really is. That's number one. But then he says, number two, the idolatrous heart substitutes for the true God one made after its own likeness. So I'm not only different, I have a different view of God than he really is. My view of God is he's like me. In fact, in the Old Testament, God says, you thought that I was altogether such an one as you, but you're wrong. And so Tozer completes my compilation of quotes by writing, surely this must be a serious affront to the Most High. Would you write this thought down if you're taking notes? Revelation, rather than imagination, is the only way to truly know God. Revelation, and I have before me this morning a translation of a copy of a copy of a copy, but what we're looking at here is the inspired 
the result of the inspired writers, inspired by the Holy Ghost, writing what God revealed to them. So God, who knows what he's like, reveals things about himself to the authors of the Scripture. He inspires them to write what he's revealed down. Thankfully, they've been preserved for thousands of years. Preserved and preserved and passed down and even translated into our own language here before us this morning. And so this revelation is where we want to learn what we're going to learn about God. And I would contend with you this morning. If we were to study and make our lives a study of the Word of God, there are certain things... And there's more to this. I want to give you 24 things as I finish my introduction that these are the revealed some of, not an exhaustive list, we could make 24 more, but 24 alphabetical order revealed attributes of God. And I think at times past, I think I've preached on half of these at one time or another. The revelation of the Word of God where he says what he's like, he says these are true of him. God, are you listening? God is all-powerful. I'll go alphabetical. He's all-powerful. All, he has all the power there is. He has all the power that he ever needs to do everything that he wants to do. God is creative. You say, yes, he's the creator. That's right. And look, he's creative. God is faithful. God is good. God is gracious. God is holy. He's separate from sin. He's separate from everything. God is holy. God is immutable. By the way, if you've been saved five, eight, ten years or more, as I'm saying this list, you ought to be able to in your heart not just to agree with them, but you ought to have an understanding of what we mean when we say that God is immutable. He never changes. God is infinite. He's jealous. He's just. He's living. He's loving. He's majestic. He's merciful. He's omnipresent. He's perfect personal. He's self-existent, self-sufficient. He's sovereign. He is spirit. He's triune. He's truthful, and he's wrathful, and there are many more. But this morning, I want you to join with me as we notice one particular, and you may say, I mean, that is the most random thought about God. But even as Mike was praying this morning, my prayer was joining with him. Lord, just let us see even this attribute of you in a greater way so that we see you in a greater way than we have up till now. And we want to study the omniscience of God. So here's what I'm going to do. I told you it was a long introduction. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to give a broad general statement, and we're going to do like a 40,000-foot flyover, and it's going to be extremely inadequate because of the massiveness of the statement that we're about. I mean, extremely inadequate. And the first point's going to be the dominant part of the whole message as far as time. After that... Then we want to draw it in and make it a little more personal. Same idea. So we're going to go greater to lesser. And then when it's all said and done, I hope you'll still be with me and be praying because I want us to finish by saying, okay, yeah, so what? What does that even mean? What's the importance? Is, what's the relevance of that? Okay, we're more informed. Why is this important? And so we want to finish with looking at that as a third thought this morning. So number one, let's just open with a real simple statement and try to defend it from the revelation and just give a few thoughts to hopefully expand our thinking or refresh our thoughts about God's omniscience. Number one, here's the statement. God knows, what do you think the next word is? Starts with an E, everything. Isn't that simple? So here's what I want you to understand. This is what God's been impressing upon me. God knows everything. Would you join me? Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, look at verse number one. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord. So hear this. This is starting with a command. Take this personal. Praise the Lord. Why? He gives three reasons. 
for it is good to sing praises to our God. Let me pause. God's Word just tells us right here, praise the Lord, and then attaches it to singing praises. Praise the Lord, for it is good. You want to do something good? Did you do something good a while ago? Were you singing praises to the Lord, or were you just standing there? Were you just standing this morning, or were you singing praises to our God? He continues, why praise the Lord? Not only is it good, but it is pleasant. It's beautiful. And a song of praise is fitting. So praise the Lord because it's good, it's pleasant, it's fitting. I'm going to skip verses 2 and 3. Let's go to verse 4. Look at verse 4. And the writer here is going to give us a sample of why it is fitting to praise the Lord. Why is it good? Why is it pleasant? Look at verse 4. Now really, man, we could... We could stop and and get lost in verses 4 and 5. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. Now that's a very general, not a superlative statement. That is true. Is God abundant in power? There's a text right there that talks about the power of God. But here, verse 5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. But watch the end of verse 5. His understanding is beyond measure. Let that, let that sink in. God's understanding is beyond measure. You can't measure it. God's understanding is measureless, boundless. It is, therefore, here's the idea, infinite. God's understanding is infinite. I'll say some things that some are going to hear that, and they'd go, that's, that's, that's stupid. I, I don't believe. No, that's ridiculous. That, that's impossible. That's because you may have a small view of God. The Bible teaches that God's understanding is without limits, beyond measure. It is infinite. Look back at verse 4 for just a sample, just a sample. He determines the numbers of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. I read once that the average person has a 40,000-word vocabulary. So if you were to take the average, we're a a bunch of average people, right? You say, well, I'm not. I'm exceptional. Okay, you have a larger vocabulary. But most of us have, I don't know what mine is. Some of us us have less than 40,000 words. Some of us have more than, but if you were to average us, we have a 40,000-word vocabulary. But look at just one little sample explaining how God's understanding is beyond measure. Not only does he determine, he made and put in location and oversees the number of the stars, but just a a brief thought, he gives to all them their names. We have a 40,000-word vocabulary, and God has named and knows the names of every star. Do you have a clue how many stars there are? I didn't, so I looked it up. By the way, our estimates keep growing. Every time they discover new things, oh, we now think there's, never do they come back, ah, we have a new discovery. There's not nearly as many stars as we thought there were. It's always there way more. Do you know what the latest estimate is? 200 billion trillion. You say, what? Follow me. Two, this is the estimate. They think there's 200 billion trillion trillion stars 200 billion tri- not a trillion 200 billion trillion take the number 200 throw 21 zeros behind it and that's how many stars the average person they say has a hundred thousand hairs on their head and God knows every hair of every head 
If we estimate between 60 and 100 billion people have lived in the history of the world, take the high number, 100 billion people, each one having 100,000 hairs, each person who's ever lived 100,000, you are nowhere near how many stars there are. God knows every star by name. He, na- he constantly knows this. If you're a school teacher in our church, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. You're a school teacher. I know we've got quite a few. Raise your hand. Several. And some aren't even here today. We've got some high school teachers and some college teacher professors. I think we've got at least three college professors, maybe more, in several high school and, and middle school and elementary. How popular would, would these high school and college teachers be if they were teaching astronomy uh, not astrology. If they were teaching astro- astronomy and their year, their, their semester ending exam was real simple, you just have to locate and identify and name 200 stars. Would you be real popular, Alina? You'd probably be like, man, I can't stand that Mrs. Martinez. She's making 200, 200, star- no, 200. We got another. Oh, come on, that's impossible. They would be hated. We have small minds. God knows all things. I've used this illustration before. In fact, let me hit a couple more passages before I go into that. Leave Psalm 147. Go, if you would, flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. I did not have space to put that on your handout. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, look at verse 13. Again, Go back, study these verses in their context. You'll see we are not doing any harm to what we're saying from them. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 13. The Bible says, and no creature. Let's update our thoughts here. What is God like? What are his attributes? No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. No creature is hidden from his sight. None, like in the spirit world that we don't see, among them, none of those creatures are hidden from God's sight. Way back in a cave where no one has ever been back there, that creature that is in there seemingly all by himself, it is not hidden, it is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we all have to give an account. If we could go to the deepest part of the ocean, I mean the deepest, where we are not yet down there with any cameras, and we don't know what all is down there, Whatever is down there, it is not hidden from God. It is well. It is naked and exposed. The tiniest little bacteria and virus, those are creatures, and none of them are hidden from God's side. They're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Flip over just a few pages. 1 John chapter 3. Look at what the Bible says, because here you'll see why we gave the point that we gave. 1 John chapter 3. I'm really breaking my rule, and I'm not going to get bogged down. I am jumping in the middle of a sentence. You go back and look at the beginning, though I probably will give a brief explanation. Look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. I'm after those, that, those last three or four words. And He knows everything. But go back. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is great. Watch. Hey, look this way. Watch this. This is talking about when you pray to God. I don't know, you're, you're, you're like me. You guys are like me. There are some times that I can pray to God very boldly and confidently and go right in. I'm aware of his presence. And, I mean, I just 
flow and, and there's no hindrances. And yet there's other times there's hindrances. And maybe often it's because maybe my heart is guilty because I have something in my heart that shouldn't be there. In the context of this, what John, the beloved, is saying is when we love each other, not just with words... But with actual deeds, that actually gives us confidence to go into the presence of God boldly and confidently. But, verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us and we're just not feeling all that like the child of God that has access to the throne room of God. Well, here's good news. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He remembers who we are. Though we may not feel like his child, he knows that we are. Oh, and oh, by the way, he knows everything. Everything. He knows everything. So what does that mean? Way more than I have the ability to, to explain. But I've used this illustration twice. It's been a long time since I've used it on Sunday. I think we used it back in Romans. I want us to travel back to the back parking lot. And we're going to take a piece of chalk. And we're going to make a circle. And in this circle, I want you to picture it. It's 100 foot in diameter. Almost from curb to the other curb. 100 foot circle. Maybe we make it 125 feet. Probably have room for that. 125-foot circle, and that circle represents, hypothetically, all knowledge. All knowledge. And we're going to hand you a marker, and your job is to go inside the 125-foot circle, and you're going to make another circle that represents your knowledge. So that's all knowledge. Here you go within the 125-foot circle and, and circle, make a mark that represents your knowledge. Do you understand? How big would you make your mark? You say, man, that's all knowledge. <laughs> Mine's probably not much. Yeah, well, if you just did that, you way overestimated your knowledge. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. It'd really be more like, a, that's the, no, you way, way overestimated your knowledge. If you make a discernible mark, you have overestimated your knowledge. If we were to expand our circle to a mile wide, Two mile wide radius. If you make a discernible mark, I mean, I don't want to, I don't need a, a, a writing pen. I need a, a little PIN. I need a little sewing pen. And I'm just going to, and I'm just going to, no, you have overestimated your knowledge against all knowledge. And right now you're thinking, nah, nah, it's not two miles. I'm surely within, no, you're not. Let me show you. One date in time, this date, 50 years ago to the day. Do you know what happened in that two-foot by three-foot space that you're occupying? Right where you're sitting right now, do you have any clue exactly what happened in your two-foot by three-foot space right where you're at 50 years ago today? I'll tell you what. If you could go down through the carpet and through this concrete... You would go down to dirt. Chances are that's not the dirt that was there 50 years ago. This building was here. You say, well, what was here? I don't know. I'm not God. Just your little space. How many ants were in there? Were there any millipedes, centipedes? Were there some mice? Were there some rats? How many snakes? Did a rabbit go through? Did a possum go through? A deer? A raccoon? Did little kids play in your... You say, I have no idea. That is one day. What happened down about a foot below the surface? Was there an ant colony? How many? You have no clue. God knows everything that happens in all of the places. The person beside you, God knows what, what was happening 50 years ago to this day all around us. And oh, by the way, it's not a strain. God knows every blade of grass, every grain of sand, every hair on our head. And the number of all the stars. And again, it is not a strain. And if you're thinking, that is, there's no way. That's because your God 
is too small in your view. Go with me, if you would, Romans chapter 11. Flip over Romans 11. We would presume if we were going to teach on this topic this morning that we would touch these verses. Romans 11. Paul is concluding, pretty confident to say, the deepest section in all of the Bible. The deepest, most difficult part to understand in all of Scripture. Romans 9, 10, and 11. And that's preceded by all this awesome doctrine in chapters 1 through 8. Then he gets to the end of 8, which I alluded to earlier. Flows into 9 and into 10 and 11. particularly 9 and 11. And here Paul, who just wrote about it, who knows more about this subject, these subjects than anyone else in the history of the world, humanly speaking, writes the following. Verse 33. Look what the Bible says. Oh, like you catch it? Just oh, the depth. And the depth here means the deep, deep, deep depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom, and here's our word, knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. And he asks a question, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who's ever known the mind of God? Who can say, I know the mind of God? Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been God's counselor? God, I need to give you some advice. Paul says that would be ridiculous and silly. Why? Because verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches. You say, is that talking about cash? It's talking about way better things to be rich in than cash. God is rich in time. He's rich in power. He's rich in glory. He has much to spare, more than he would ever need. He is rich. Oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So here we have all these words. Watch. Riches. I'm not going to address that anymore. But we have wisdom and knowledge and judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. What are these thoughts? I want you to write this thought down. God's wisdom, it's connected to his knowledge. His omniscience is connected to his wisdom. God's wisdom is his knowledge applied. So God has all knowledge, and when he applies all knowledge, he applies it. He does so in perfect wisdom at all times. What we need to understand is that everything that God does, God does it the best it can be done because he has all wisdom, because he has all knowledge applying that as wisdom. So then what are these judgments? How unsearchable are his judgments? Write this thought down. His judgments are his thoughts. These are God's thoughts and God's purposes. I alluded to one in the, in the introduction this morning. These God's judgments are his, the way God thinks and God's purposes. Here's what we need to understand. His judgments, his purposes and thoughts are unsearchable. What that means is they're not the ones that you would have. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His purposes for what he's doing are not the ones that we would have. And how inscrutable are his ways. Write this whole thing together now. His ways are his methods to accomplish his purposes. So he has all knowledge applied in wisdom. And he has these thoughts and purposes. And he uses his ways to accomplish his thoughts and his purposes And he always does that in a way that to us is unsearchable and inscrutable, which means impossible to comprehend. God's ways, in particular, this is where you ought to agree, you ought to confess within yourself, oh, absolutely, 
What I know about God's ways, God's ways are confounding to me. They are a mystery. They're very different than what I, what I would do and how I would do it. God's ways are confounding, but they're the best. God's ways are the best. As you're writing that thought, I want you to understand what God has purposed is the best purpose. His purposes are the best purposes. And the ways he's going about doing these purposes are the best that they could be done. You may say, oh, if I was God, I could do it better than God is doing. I know that you're writing, but I want you to, if you need to pause, I want you to hear what I'm going to say in this next sentence. If we knew what God knows, we would do what God does. Say that again. If we don't, if we knew what God knows, we would do what God does. And I fully believe that. And then you look at verse 34, and Paul asks this rhetorical question Who's ever known the mind of the Lord? Who's ever, who has been his counselor? And obviously, the answer is no one's ever. Hey, let me give you some perspective, God. Let me shed a little light on the situation. Nobody's ever done that. Why? I'm going to keep moving. I know you're writing that last thought, but I want you to keep moving into the next one. The reason no one's ever been God's counselor is because it is not possible for God to learn anything. We could say it another way. God, what don't you get? Everybody listening? God can never learn anything. God can never learn anything. Back to A.W. Tozer. Tozer writes, not only can God never learn anything, he writes the following, quote. Now here I want you to get this. Again, he writes better than I can speak, so that's why I'm sharing and quoting him. Tozer writes that God, he knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly. And I remember when I used that word, someone saw me after the service, and they had a problem with the word instantly, as if God could quickly retrieve. It's not that God's quick. Tozer's using the word instantly with the idea of constantly. Let me back up and read the quote again. God knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. He continues, skipping ahead, he writes, because, I want you to really get this thought, because God knows all things perfectly, he knows nothing better than any other thing, but all things equally. Guys, I know some things, but I know some things that I know better than other things that I know. And you're the same way. Most of us are adults and our smallest children are out. When did we learn our multiplication tables? Is that first grade? Is that first grade, I think? I think that's when I learned them way back in the 70s. Second grade, possibly. Third, times have changed. I think I learned them in first grade. (laughs) It's that new math that they're teaching these days. Whenever I learned them, you guys are probably like me, aren't you? To this day, you can still remember most of your multiplication tables, right? But do you remember which ones came easier, right? The twos, the twos were easy. Two, four, six, eight, I got it, okay. The fives, 
5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Got it. The 10s, 10, 15, sorry, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. We got that. But as several have said, the ones are the easiest, right? We, we really know our ones. We're really good on our ones. How are you on your 27s? You're like, I could do it. You're going to have to retrieve and calculate. Listen to what Tozer correctly writes. Because God knows all things perfectly. He knows nothing better than any other thing. But all things equally. He doesn't struggle with his 27s. One preacher once said, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? Why? Follow me here. Go with me. I'm going to say some big, broad things. They're very simple, but they're broad. And I hope that you will receive this as from the Word of God. God knows all things physical. God knows all things spiritual. There's a physical universe, and there's the spirit world, and God knows all things spiritual, all things physical, and all things invisible. You say, Jeff, you've already touched on invisible when you said spirit. No, no, no. Ideas, thoughts, feelings, desires, all the abstract. God knows all things invisible, all things physical, all things spiritual. But then we nuance that by saying that God knows all things. We have this whole category of Eternity past. You understand? Eternity past. God knows all of eternity past. And he knows the present. That's the easiest one, but you and I aren't there. And he knows all things about eternity future. But if you were to put all that physical, spiritual, invisible, past, present, future, make it all together, put it in a big ball, it would still be less than my next three words. God knows himself all the other things combined are less than God knows himself and so I conclude this first point which I mentioned to you was the definitely longer part of the message by saying God knows the answer to every question that is a mystery to mankind I hope I don't lose anybody, and I hope I don't make you upset, but we need to be honest. There are some things in the Word of God, in the special revelation, in the general revelation of God, that we have a hard time squaring. How does that square with that? So I want to give you a formula, and I'm going to make it a generic formula, and in a moment, don't say it out loud, unless I ask for a specific, but I'm going to give a formula, and I want you in your mind to start filling in the numbers and letters. Here's the sentence. So here's the mysteries that mankind asks. And by the way, we struggle to make, I struggle to make them square. Here's the formula. All right. You Christians and the Bible apparently says that God is A, B, and C. Well, if he's really A, B, C... Then how come one, two, three has happened? If God is really A, B, C, then why has one, two, three happened? Now I want you to think. Give me an example of what we might put in place of A. If God is really what? If he's really, what'd you say? Good. Well, somebody over here said, if he's really loving, 
Anybody else? If he's really sovereign, and if he's really all-powerful, and we could add a few more, if he's really holy, hang on, if God really is holy and he can't tolerate sin, then why is one, two, three happen? Well, now we can fill in one, two, three. What can we put in place? If God is really holy and good and loving and sovereign and all-powerful, then how is blank? How come that happened? What's the blank? How did sin happen and pain and sorrow and suffering and the big one? What comes with sin? It always comes with sin. Death. Physical death. Spiritual death. Eternal death. How come that happened? If God really is omniscient and He's really all-powerful and holy and loving and good... Then why has sin and pain and sorrow and suffering and death occurred? Is he really good? Is he holy? If he really hates sin, how come sin has? He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's in control, right? And we really struggle to make that square. But I found that the best way to do that is just take it head on and admit some things. So let's write the following. The answer is yes. God knew that Lucifer would sin. And yes, God knew that Adam would sin. And because of Adam's sin, God knew that all of mankind would be plunged into sin and pain and sorrow and suffering and death in its various forms. God knew all of that all before. He knew this before he ever created anyone or anything. Yes, God knew that. And you're writing that thought, right? Yes, you're writing that thought. I'm going to go further than that because we didn't have room to put this all on the handout. The answer is yes. God knew who would be saved and who would not be saved. He knew who would be saved and go to heaven because of trusting His promises about the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He knew who would be saved and He knew before He ever made anyone who would not be saved and He still went forward and made all of the people He's made and that He will make. And we really struggle to make that square. So I want to tell you what we got to do with that. First of all, here's what we cannot do. We cannot decide, whoa, I don't like the way that sounds, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to emphasize certain attributes of God that I like, and then if I have to, I'll downplay some other ones. Well, maybe he's not omniscient. Well, maybe he's not sovereign. Maybe he's not in control. Maybe he's omniscient, and he did this knowing, but he just kind of let things happen by chance, and he kind of just took his hands off and... Lo and behold, look what they did. What you can't do, ladies and gentlemen, is choose to emphasize some to delete others or protect others. What you got to do is take all of the revealed attributes of God and let them have their place and let them have their weight. What most people do when they come to these questions, they become skeptics. And here's the two they really like to sacrifice. Well, then he's not good and he's not loving. If he is omniscient and all-powerful and sovereign, then he can't be good and loving. Because look what's happened. Would you write the following? Here's what we need to do. We just need to admit that we have gaps in our knowledge. But God has no gaps. God has no gaps in his knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, if we had the gaps filled in, we would have an understanding of what God is after and how it all fits. And yes, he is still all-powerful and sovereign and holy and good and loving and all the other things. And all this has happened under his watch, under his creative eye. 
and everything's right on schedule. But for now, all I can do is say, God, as I try to look at the whole landscape, I have big patches of empty space. I don't have all the knowledge, but God's like, oh, yeah, you don't see everything. I see the whole thing, and this is where we just have to acknowledge, God, you know all things, and you're still good, and you're still holy, and you're still loving. He is infinitely better than you think he is. He is infinitely more loving than you think he is. He is infinitely more sovereign and powerful and holy than you think he is. And there's point number one. He knows everything. Number two. Would you join me in Psalm 139? And we'll be brief on this one. Psalm 139. David's the author. And let's notice this second point this morning. God knows us perfectly. God knows us perfectly. Yes, God knows everything. But we need to bring it down. That's a massive doctrine. And so here's what David does. What he's going to write is not contradicting the first point. It's a minute little subpoint of the first one. God knows us, you and I, perfectly. I'll try not to get bogged down. Let's read verses 1 through 16. You got your Bibles ready? Here we go. Second point. God knows us perfectly. Verse number 1. Oh, Lord, catch the wording. You have searched me and known me. Odd way to say that. Hey, how does that square with the first point? You have searched me and known me. I get the known me. What's this searched? You know when I sit down and when I rise up. I read that the other day. And you know what I started thinking about? My family, we, they still do. I grew up doing a lot of bear hunting. In the last couple of decades, they started getting this new technology where they have these tracking collars on their dogs. And the tracking collars, they'll send them out and they have little magnets and it feeds back to this board. And my brother, who is operating it, can do this little antenna, and on the screen they'll have a number or a name that represents, well, caller number whatever is on old Blackie, or there's Bo, or there's whoever that one, boom, boom, boom. And there's little icons on the screen, and they can literally see, like, that dog right there, and they have a little running icon. The dog's running. And then they'll have somewhere a little dog sitting, so-and-so's sitting. And then they'll have one, they'll have a little picture of a tree, and have the dog's paws on the tree and his back feet on the ground and that's what they really want because that means the bear's up a tree and the dog has his paws on the tree barking up and they change the way they bark go get them boys go and I know that's real cruel and mean but that's what they do that dog is running that one's sitting that one's treed but verse 2 God you know when I sit down and when I rise up and it's not because God has a tracker on us Jeff's icon is standing Their icons are sitting. Thanks for the report. Verse 2. You know when I sit. There's a reason he knows. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. Sitting, rising. You discern my thoughts from afar. Before I'm thinking the thoughts, you've discerned them. You search out my path. I don't know what that means. Is David saying, I'm born here, and you know everywhere I've gone, all the way through eternity, you know my path? Or is he saying, you know my habits, I've worn out a path right there. You search out my path and my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. All of you guys are like me. When I brush my teeth, I do the same thing every time. When I wash, I do the same thing. When I shave, I do the same thing every time. Like two months ago, Deanna was sleeping and I didn't want to wake her up, and it was kind of dark, and I had just the closet light on, and I was shaving, and it was, I think, a Sunday morning. There was something. I forget what it was, 
And I got to church and I realized I'd missed a spot right there. It drove me crazy. I made sure I covered it with this yellow thing. Because I tried to shave in the dark. But I have my ways of doing things and you have yours. And what David is saying, you're acquainted with all my ways. You know my habits, my actions, you know my thoughts. Verse 4 even brings in this other. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows your words. before. He knows David, yours, your words, when you're going to say it, what you're going to say, where you'll say it, who hears it, what you meant, the effect it's going to have on them. He knows all of it all together. Why? Not because he's tracking. It's in verse 5. We're surrounded by air, but more than you're surrounded by air, verse 5, David says, you hem me in, you hem me in, behind and before. He could say, to my right, to my left, above me, beneath me. You have hemmed me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. And then he asks this, if, hypothetical, I wanted to get away from you, where you wouldn't know all these things about me, where shall I go from your, catch this next word, spirit? Where would I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He offers some suggestions. If I ascend to heaven, off to heaven into the, again, maybe the heaven heaven, or maybe it means space. You get out there and you're in space. Aha! You know what you'd find? You. Yes, me. You're here. I'm here. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, I die. I go to the place of the dead. You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, I go somewhere on the ocean, no one's ever been. Or down to the deepest part of the sea, no one's ever been. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. David, talking about the the omnipresence of God and the omniscience of God and how it affects him, he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb when I was just an embryo. That was you decided that cell is going to become an organ cell. That one a blood cell. That one is going to be a bone or a ligament or a tendon or skin or muscle. And I don't know what I'm talking about, but God makes this decision and these are going to split and that one will be... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Look at verse 1. O Lord... You have searched me and known me. Is David contradicting what I said? Is is David implying that God is searching him because God's trying to learn something new? No, he's not implying that God is searching you or David. He's not implying that David is special and God searches and knows him. This applies to every person who's ever lived. God has searched and known, not to discover something he didn't know, but he's talking about the thoroughness with which God knows us write this thought to ascribe God's knowledge of his intentional search of him David's point is that God examines and knows each person he put it kind of in three or four categories each person's actions each person's every action each person's every word every word he knows our every 
thought, every thought before we can even think it. He knows our words before we say them. What David's point is, he wants to take this doctrine, this good doctrine of the omniscience of God, and he says, I need to now make that personal. God knows me. We ought to remember that. But we have difficulty. I'm going to tell you why we have a difficulty to remember that God knows everything about us and is always watching. Here's our struggle. It's in verse 7. Go back. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Hey, guys, look this way. Once you've written that. If God were physical, you would know he's always right there, and you would know. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey. But he's not physical. You know what we do? Because God is a spirit, we forget. Now, I want some of you to help me here. Because he's a spirit, we forget. But if we could maintain an understanding and an awareness of these things, if we could keep an awareness that God exists, that he's always watching, and catch this, he cares. It matters. God exists. He's always watching. And he, he's watching you right now. He knows everything about you. He's watching. Have you already forgot? We're talking about his knowledge of you. Have, are you, have you already forgot that his knowledge is of you? How are you responding? Now finish this for me. If we had an awareness that God exists, he's always watching, and he cares, that would lead to the what of the Lord that the book of Proverbs talks about. That would lead to the fear of the Lord. If I know God exists, He's watching, He cares, and I'm going to give an account to Him, that would lead to the fear of the Lord, which is called the beginning of wisdom. And if we were to have that, write this thought, it would affect how we live. You know why we got the speeding ticket? Because you didn't see the highway patrol. You didn't see him. But if the highway patrol comes on the ramp... Just ahead of you, or at the same time as you, you will adjust your driving accordingly. I see him. I'm not going to speed and act like an idiot now. I'll speed and act like an idiot when I don't see him. And that's when you get caught. We don't see God's nearness and the concern that he's displaying. No, oh, by the way, that fear of the Lord, that awareness that God is watching, like, hey, I, I can't. What we need to do, Grace View, is to like maybe even, like honestly, send an alarm on your phone that goes off at a good time, an appropriate time, where you can just like pause what you're doing and reflect back on the presence of God for two minutes, five minutes, eight minutes. Do that three or four times in your day. I think it's what Pete Scazzaro calls the daily office. Because I have a good closet prayer time in the morning, but then Jeff can get busy doing Jeff stuff and even God's things. And forget that God is a spirit. Oh, by the way, oh, you're there the whole time. We need to remember this. That's not the completion of wisdom. That's the beginning of wisdom. The completion of wisdom is this. Lord, I want to know your will and I'm going to do your will. I want to know the wise path that pleases you. And then I have a heart that is inclined to obey it. But it all begins with the beginning of wisdom, which is the fear of God. Which is, I'm aware that he is He's watching, he cares, and I'm going to give an answer. And that's why the end of wisdom is, I'm going to choose the path that pleases the Lord. Let me fly through this before we finish up the third thought. 
God sees, hears, and knows everything about you. He knows every part of your physical makeup. When you were conceived, the day you will die, the cause of your death. He knows how your vocal cords work. I don't. He knows how the tiny little bones in your ears work. He knows your unique personality. You may be like me, which quite often throughout my life, I've been very frustrated with my personality. and wish I had other people's personality. But God made me the way he made me. And he wants to sanctify my personality. He made your unique. He knows your unique personality. He knows the difference between your soul and your spirit. And I know some good theologians who think that we have physical body and we have immaterial and soul and spirit are interchangeable. Well, they can be wrong if they want. I believe in Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 12 which says the word of God because it's the word of God divides even to the asunder of soul and spirit. I can't tell you for sure the difference between soul and spirit, but God can. He knows what you need. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, he knows what you need before you even pray. He knows exactly what you will say. God knows what you will say in your prayers, and he knows how much you really mean it. He knows your concentration level in prayer. You say, well, he already knows what I want to say, so I guess I don't need to pray. No, he still says pray, but just know that he already knows everything you're going to say, how you're going to say it, and how concentrated you are. Prayer is because he wants to fellowship with you, and he wants you to display your dependence upon him, and you want to delight and fellowship with him as well and many other reasons. Don't let that knowledge cause you not to pray. Let it lead you to prayer. Just know he already knows what you're going to say. He knows what kept some of us awake last night. Me. Keep checking the clock like it's the first day of work and I'm going to wake up late. What kept you up last night? Some of you are like, I slept like a baby. Awesome. Others of you are like, yeah, something's going on. He knows what happened to you as a child. And how that affected your life. He knows your greatest fears. Your biggest regrets. Your greatest desires. He knows when your motive is absolutely pure and though somebody else thinks your motive was impure. God knows it was pure and vice versa. God knows when there is contrition in your heart. You've done something that offended someone and you've genuinely repented of that and said you're sorry and they think you're not really sorry enough. God knows you are. So number three this morning, let's finish here. God knows everything, and God knows us perfectly. And so lastly, applications of God's omniscience. Applications of God's omniscience. We'll give different times to some of these. Number one, okay, Jeff, God knows everything, and he knows me perfectly. What do I need to do with that as we're going to leave in a few minutes? Number one, since God knows everything, Graceview, listen up, check your heart. Decide, I'm going to do this. Since God knows everything, we should praise Him for His omniscience. Praise the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord, for it is good, it is pleasant, it's fitting. And one of the reasons is, God, I really admire smart people and wise people, but they are nothing. They are so finite. You have infinite knowledge. You alone are God. We praise you, God, for your omniscience. Praise the Lord. If that's the only one. So what's the significance of knowing? I kind of already knew God knows everything. You ought to think about it more and let it lead your heart. Praise the Lord. Secondly, since God knows everything, we must confess our sin. You ought to confess. Don't pretend like God doesn't see it. Unsaved people, they need to get saved and confess their sins. True. Get a relationship with God. Christians, 
Our sin does not nullify or negate our relationship with God, but it does affect our fellowship with God. So don't act like God doesn't see it. You ought to ask Him, Lord, would you show me what sin is in my life? And then confess it. Oh, by the way, you're not informing God when you're coming. I guess I better inform God what I did. No, confession is not informing God. We know He knows everything. So confession is simply agreeing with what He says about our sin. Since God knows everything, what should we do? Praise Him. We should confess our sin. Number three. I'm returning to the thought a while ago. Do this. Grab this. We should live with reverential fear of God. God, since you know everything, help me. Because you're a spirit, I forget. Help me to live with this daily and moment by moment. Even if I have to put artificial reminders in my schedule. Help me to live with that reverential fear of God. God is right now watching your heart. He knows what's in your heart. Have you already checked out? God knows. You're going to give an account. Are you still absorbing this study of God this morning? God knows. One of the things that struck me a few weeks ago in my private reading, I was reading Job. And Job's just such a massive book and it's difficult to understand. Let me give you this thought about Job. And I'm going to the fourth one. Job knew that his calamity was too severe and too nuanced to just be coincidence. He knows that God knows about this and that God is allowing this, causing it. He doesn't know the details. He doesn't know that God and Satan have had a talk and that Satan has unleashed on him and done all this devastation, that God has allowed it. He doesn't know that. But Job, in his heart, here's what he wants. I just want a day in court with God so that I can tell him some things. And if Job could have that, he eventually gets it. But here's what Job is saying. He says to God, and I forget where it was, and I'm very much summarizing, not quoting. But Job's attitude was God. They think this is happening because of sin in my life. I don't know of any sin in my life. Things are right between you and me, so I don't know why this is happening. But he even goes so far as to imply, God, I am so little. I am so nothing. You are God. They think it's my sin. If it were my sin, it's just me. My sin doesn't affect you. You're God. Why is this happening? Why are all these things? And here's ultimately God's answer. I care about everything. I care about everything in your life. I'm not, it's not that you're so insignificant, therefore I don't care about you. Every creature God made, God cares about it. That means your sin matters, your obedience matters. You ought to live with reverence of God because He's watching everything. Number four, it enhances grace since God already knows our future sins. Since God knows everything, that enhances grace. Since God already knows our future sin. So I'm not going to really teach that one, okay? I'm going to probably miss it by trying to give the ending line. Watch. James 4 verse 8 says, If we will draw near to God, what will happen? He'll draw near to me. You with me? Do you know how when sometimes you love the Lord more and you draw closer to Him than in other times? And if you're here like, Jeff, I love the Lord maximum all the time. Okay. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) You are lying. We're this. 
Here's what I find. This amazes me, and I've shared this multiple times. I've probably shared this thought ten times. It blows my mind that when I'm ready to love the Lord and draw near to Him, He always draws near to me, and He deals with me in that moment. And He knows all my past sin. But He doesn't deal with me because I've confessed those. And Christ, is, He doesn't hold that. But what also blows my mind is the Lord knows what I'm going to do in 36 minutes after I'm loving Him really close right now. I love you right now, Lord. Yep. But do you know what you're going to do in 36? You will leave me high and dry. You'll forsake me. You're using me and you're going to abuse me. You're going to just compartmentalize me in a moment. You're going to grieve me and quench me in a moment so you can forget it. That's what I would do. But God doesn't hold future sin. He knows them. He loves us right there. If I know you're going to hurt me next week, I'm probably not real friendly with you today. Number five. This is one of the main ones I wish I could go to Romans 8. This is where we'll finish. Romans 8. Romans 8. Number 5. God knows everything. Yeah, so what? Write this down. God knows our struggles and their purpose. God knows our struggles. Hey, guys. I hope, if it was up to me, I would love it if everybody in here is just like, Jeff, life couldn't be better. Don't you love the fall? Jeff, isn't the fall great? Weather's perfect. Family's great. Bills are paid. We've got money in the bank. We're all healthy. It's just awesome. Relationships couldn't be better. Life is great. And some of you are there. But there are some of you this morning, and I don't know all of you, but there's some, there's some multiple. And the people that are close to you know that you're going through something. But even the closest people, you don't know that all that you're going through. And I'm talking to a group of people right now. There's some in the room. Your faith is getting tested. Your faith, you're wanting to have anxiety. Anxiety is building. Your faith is being tested. Why don't I give you some good news? God knows all things. He knows your struggle and its purpose. Look at Romans 8.18. Paul writes, for I consider, consider means I know it, and I'm going to just consider it so. I'm going to reckon it to be so. That's an important word. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The verse before that talks about we, that in order that we may also be glorified. So we'll be glorified, and then there's this glory that's to be revealed to us. Don't miss this point. Look at verse 18 again. If you are right now in a struggle, and your faith is tested, and something's going on, and it's causing you great anxiety, you ought to listen to verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, be they physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's what he's saying. There's your sufferings. They're real. This isn't a game. This is hard. There's your sufferings, and here's the glory that's to be revealed. There's sufferings, now, glory to be revealed. They're not worthy to be compared. Now, what's that not worth to be compared? Yeah, they're not equal. There's a reason flyweights and featherweights don't fight heavyweights. It's not fair. Y'all are not equal. There's a reason black belts don't do their best in a spar against a white belt. 
A fifth degree black belt. Doesn't fight a yellow belt. Not for real. Why? Oh, yeah, there's your struggles. And there's your suffering. But here's glory. Now, guys, they're connected. They are connected. But they're not close. This is so much great. The glory that is coming to you, Christian, is so much greater than your current sufferings. But they're tied together. I wrote this thought. It's not just glory later in spite of the suffering. Paul connects them for a reason. In your own time, go back and look at verse 16, 17. Here it is. It's not just glory in spite of sufferings. Good news. Suffering now. Glory's coming. No. It's glory due to suffering. He connects it. It's the impression. More suffering, more glory. Paul never shied away from suffering because he knew what it ultimately leads to. You don't believe me? Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work for, we know that for those who love God, got to get the right ESV translation here. I just ramble off what I've memorized. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work. We like this stuff. This is, this is a pleasant part of life. Here's some good food. There's health, family. There's that nice vacation. Some suffering. And some suffering. And put it all. What's going to happen? Your eternal good is coming. Not just in spite of the suffering, but through the suffering. It's a good thing. So what does God know? I'm wrapping this, this one up. He knows your suffering. He invites you, cast your cares on me. You don't have the shoulders for it. So I'm asking you, if you're in this position, can you honestly say in your heart of hearts, I have taken the step of actually rolling my suffering over on God. Have you talked to God? I'm, I'm not going to carry it. I'm giving it to you. Have you done that? And then God says, I know you're suffering. Roll it over on me. And I also know these are the very things that are going to result in great glory for you. Number six, write it down. It should be obvious. I'll not develop it. We should ask God for guidance. Ask God for guidance. He knows everything. Write the thought that goes with that. God's knowledge even extends to what might happen that, does, that doesn't happen. You say, what? God knows what might happen but doesn't. Because you ask Him, you end up not doing that. God, knows, God says, Capernaum, the city and people of Capernaum, if the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had seen and heard what you've seen and heard, they would have repented and they would still be here. But they didn't. And so they were destroyed. You have an advantage. And then lastly, staying there in Romans 8. Okay, God knows everything. Yeah, what's the big deal? Since God knows everything, it ensures our future is secure. And this matters. I love eternal security. It, it, it's probably better than being saved. Some have said, the only thing better than being saved is to be, be saved and know that you're saved and you can't lose your salvation. What secures our eternity? If you're a Christian, what secures our eternity? You say the death of Jesus on the cross. That's right. And the promise of God that his death is sufficient. You're in Romans 8. Let's close right here. Look at verse 33. Here's the good news. God knows everything. So what does it mean? Paul writes, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
Who's going to bring a charge that sticks? He answers, it is God who justifies. God, uh, you missed it. I know you declared them righteous, but you didn't know about this. Not going to work. Verse 34. Okay, who is to condemn? Hey, y'all help me out. Be specific. Who ultimately condemns people? What person at the judgment? I mean, be specific. What person ultimately condemns people? It is Jesus. Jesus Christ. So Paul asks, who is to condemn? Well, Jesus Christ can condemn. But here's the thing. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Christ Jesus is the one who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. He's not going to condemn me. He's praying for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. I can't lose it. If that's not strong enough, verse 38. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your last note is this. We're secure because of God's promises. And what are God's promises? One way we could say it is very simple. God's promises are statements of what He knows will happen. I know I know everything. I know what will happen. Jeff, yeah, you blew it. It was really bad. You need to confess that. You need to draw close to me again. Did I lose my salvation, Lord? I told you it's eternal life, Jeff. I know everything that's going to happen. You make it. I love that thought. And so I close where we began. A.W. Tozer drives this point home. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. Why? Since He knew us utterly before we knew Him. And He called us to Himself in the full knowledge of everything. I already know the worst about you. We sang it a while ago. I can never be more loved than I am right now. On my worst day, I can never be more loved than I am right now. Would you stand with me this morning? Father... I pray that you have revealed yourself to us. We've not made you bigger. You're infinite. But Lord, I pray that you have helped us to see something about you that causes us to see you as bigger than we had in our previous view. Lord, I pray that our true thoughts of you will align more and more with your revelations. We believe you are everywhere present. You have all knowledge, all wisdom, all power. You are holy. You are good. You are loving. And none of those things can ever be changed in our mind. Lord, may we settle upon your revealed attributes. And may we delight in you for that. May we have that knowledge of that. Cause us to confess our sin and to forsake our sin. To live in fear of you. And to delight how you just deal with us in the moment. Lord, may we delight that you do not hold our future sins against us. Father, may you drive home to us that you know our struggles and you know their purpose, that it is working for our good. Father, let us turn to you for wisdom and guidance since you know everything. And Lord, let us just rest that you already know the worst about us and nothing, nothing we ever do after we've trusted Christ can remove our eternal life. Let us rest 
in Christ this week. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.